Hello and welcome to Things Musicians Don't Talk About with your hosts Hattie Butterworth and me, Rebecca Toll. Within our vibrant musical world, it can often feel that the struggles and humanity of musicians is lost and restricted. Having both suffered in silence with mental, physical and emotional issues, we are now looking for a way to voice musicians' stories, discuss them further and to connect with the many others who suffer like we have. No topic will be out of bounds as we are committed to raising awareness for all varieties of struggle. So join me, Hattie and guests as we attempt to bring an end to stigma by uncovering the things musicians don't talk about. So today we have uh, our interview with the amazing Rosie Bennett, a guitarist, social media star, just musician extraordinaire. Um, we talk about her journey, the highs and the lows, and it just seemed appropriate to release it during Mental Health Awareness Week, just because there are themes of mental health and wellness and illness within Rosie's story. Um, I will also add as a little trigger warning that we do talk about some eating disorders um, and kind of the reality of that. No specifics in terms of calories or numbers, but just if you're in a place where this might not suit you at the moment, just thought we should let you know. As usual, we were just so grateful to Rosie for her honesty and openness and just the generosity with which she kind of you know she gave us her time her vulnerability and everything that she said we were just glued to our seats for the entire interview but yeah we're gonna do this as a two-parter because we didn't want to crop anything out of Rosie's episode so um, part two will be released probably next week we'll let you know Um, but for now here is part one of Rosie Bennett's story us today Rosie Bennett who is an amazing guitarist um and well I guess Instagram uh personality yeah sensation (laughs) how are you doing today Rosie I'm very well thank you how are you both how are you Hattie I'm okay yep very very excited about this interview it's really it's always such a privilege to like interview anyone but especially to read so much of of the work you've already done through your blog and through your podcast to and through your Instagram as well you know through captions you've written to just be honest about you know sometimes I have moments where I want to give up or sometimes I have moments where it's all a bit shit so it it feels like a real privilege to be able to talk openly with you and to know that that you that you want to be just as open as we do so thank you well, I'm very grateful for what you guys are doing. I know I said that before. I'll keep saying it. Oh, <laughs> um, thank you. It's really amazing to meet other people who are, I don't know, it even it sounds funny talking about it like it's a movement of some kind, but it does take a lot, especially from this world, to um, talk about almost anything openly and honestly um, in the sort of normal and, um, yeah, 
habitual rubbish that it can really be sometimes. So I'm really um, excited about what you guys have done already and I'm really excited about what you guys are going to do in the future. Oh, thank you. That really means a lot. Yeah, it does. And how you're going to do it as well. That's important. Yeah, we don't know about that. You do it very well. (laughs) It freaks us out, but excites us at the same time. The thought of the future. We have no foresight. (laughs) Um, (laughs) To start off with, do you want to just give just a little bit of background about who you are, where you come from? We know that you started off going to Yehudi Menuhin um, but yeah. do you just want to in your own words tell us a little bit about your kind of musical backstory? Sure so I was born in no I um, <laughs> yeah I was um, I grew up in England I grew up very close to the Menuhin school actually and I started playing guitar as just a coincidence there was no real beautiful story I didn't hear a piece of guitar music or have a role model and think yes I want to do that I just fell into it somehow or other and I met a teacher who happened to be teaching at the Menuhin School as well. I auditioned. The first time I auditioned I didn't get in. I auditioned again and then I got in and I started this amazing incredible journey um, of being a musician and a classical musician and everything that that means. A complete immersion into all of those amazing opinions and, and things that you should know. Um, at such a young age as well. And then we will get into that, I'm sure, later. I'm sure you know a lot of people who've been to Menuhin School. Um, I then I left, I went to study in the Hague Conservatory with Zoran Dukic, which was wonderful, but which I wasn't really ready for. And I then went to study in Tilburg, which is in the south of the Netherlands, where I felt very lonely. And I then decided that was also not for me. Um, I had a sort of pivotal moment where I thought that I might stop playing guitar. I decided to give it just one last chance. And in that last chance, I decided to travel to America. I went to study with um, a Cuban guitarist called René Esquerdo in Milwaukee, of all places, which is kind of Bible Belt, middle of America. Um, Whenever I say that I went to study there, people always ask me, why? (laughs) Um, And then I ended up settling down in Belgium, um, in Leuven, I came here to study with a teacher and then I finished studying. And in the last five years, I guess, um, so much time has passed since COVID now that it seems crazy saying five years, but okay, the last five years, <laughs> um, I've spent my time trying to figure out who I am. Um, <laughs> spent so much time in my life trying to perfect who I am. Um, And now it's just been a big period of trying to figure out what the hell I'm doing and how I want to do it, what I want to talk about, Um, which, yeah, has manifested itself in writing a little bit, in podcasting a little bit, trying to have more conversations with people like yourselves who just kind of have the feeling that they want to do something about the fact that none of us seem to be talking about anything (laughs) or at least nothing honestly. So I love what you guys do. This brought me to this conversation now, this Monday evening. Um, so it's really, I really love that you say that you, there wasn't like going right back to the beginning, that there wasn't like mm. a pivotal moment where you were like, oh, I love the guitar. Because I feel like so many people, I've had it so many times when people have been like, why did you start playing the trumpet? And I've been like, I don't know, like didn't even particularly like it at the beginning you know yeah but whereas everybody else has been like I went to see this concert when I was two and there was this flautist yeah and I was in love and like it's really refreshing to hear somebody be like yeah just kind of happens um so <laughs> I why think it happens for a lot of people yeah. right? like that um so why did you end up going to 
menuing like was it a, your choice or did you feel that it was your parents or what what happened there it's a very weird I can't really um I can't really transpose myself back to the time exactly but I do remember the feeling when I auditioned and I'd been because you get to stay for three days and sort of experience the school um and I think it was just everything my dreams were made of. I grew up reading Mallory Towers and stuff like that. I just wanted to be in boarding school. I wanted to have these amazing, you know, sort of adventures, I guess. And it really was just a gut feeling from being young. I just thought I have to be there. I want to be there. Um, which broke my parents' heart. You know, my parents really didn't push me into this. I'm an only, well, I have a half-brother, but he's much older than me, so I was an only child. Um, but I just kind of felt that it was my calling. It's a really strange way to talk about it, but when you're a kid, you can dramatize these things, and I really felt that that was where I had to be. <laughs> to do what? I didn't know. Or um, I didn't even have any notion of what you could do playing guitar. I just knew there was this thing that people could tell me I was good at. I liked attention as a kid, so I thought, I should pursue this. <laughs> I mean, people keep telling me, you're good at this, and that's really nice. Um... And so, yeah, I just, I suppose it was a decision that was made between my parents probably thinking that I was super gifted, people telling my parents that I was, you know, I had this talent, and then me just kind of thinking, why not? I want this adult experience, and I guess that's kind of where it came from. Yeah, it's really, it's really interesting. And in terms of your life now, I mean, with playing guitar, obviously you have a wonderful kind of varied life online, which is beautiful mm -hmm. to read, fascinating to see, but kind of away from, from being online and, and in recovery from COVID, are you currently performing a lot or are you teaching? You know, what what's the sort of setup of your life in terms of work in Belgium right now in Good person? Good question. Good <laughs> question. Um, it kind of feels like I'm doing everything and nothing all at the same time. It's, it feels really gratuitous to say it or especially to share it on any kind of platform, but COVID was a really amazing time for me. Um, I loved not having to do concerts. I loved the idea that nobody was doing concerts, that mm, it wasn't just me yeah. thinking, oh no, yeah. I don't want to do this, but no one was getting ahead. There was something so peaceful and just glorious about that time. Um, <clears throat> and it's taken me a lot to come back to what real life is, because there was a little hint of it last year in about, I don't know, let's say June, July, it kind of, things started to creep back, so, oh, it's all done, and then we came back into the COVID period, and I didn't really do a lot during COVID in terms of guitar, some people chose that time to, um, you know, they, they took that time to really improve their technique, or develop a new repertoire, my god, those people are so... They're such giants, you know, how can these, like, what a devilish, wonderful opportunity to just sit in your bedroom for a month and watch Netflix, you know, how can mm. these people go and do this stuff? I just can't even imagine. I just took that time to reflect. And then that reflection became a sort of habit. Um, when you've been doing something so long, I guess you guys can relate to that. When you've been doing something so long, it takes a long breathing time to have any kind of reflection over something. So... I ended up basically taking the last two years off of playing seriously, which has really saved my relationship with the instrument because I think if things had just been going as they were pre-COVID, I probably would have 
well, I don't, I don't think I ever would have ended up giving up just because I just, that's too much for me to really comprehend. Not because I love it too much, but just because what is my life really if I'm not, you know, it's very strange feeling. Um, but I think I probably would have ended up hating my life. (laughs) So there's, there's that. Um, and now for work, what am I doing? Well, let me think. So <laughs> for work, I guess the podcast does come into it. Let's start with that. We, I've been lucky to have sponsors right from the beginning. So so that kind of became work, although I'm cautious of, more and more cautious of making things that I like into work. But let's say it that I earn money from doing the podcast, mm. from writing, uh, which used to be a lot more freeform. I used to be so angry when I first started writing that piece for Tone Base every week. Um, I had so many things to talk about. And now I have been sort of tamed to writing things about, you know, the pinky and stuff like that. So I do that. Uh, I do a little bit of reviewing, which makes me feel like a, sort of half an evil person. It's funny to be on the other side. And then I teach a little bit, but I have to, I will be... Um, open and honest about this with you I don't really like teaching it's not because I just because I don't enjoy it but it's because there's so much pressure coming from all of the teachers that I've studied with the different kind of issues that I've worked through since then um I've had examples of great teachers I've had examples of not so great teachers and Essentially, when I have a child in front of me with their gappy teeth and their cute smile and they stand there with a guitar, I just think, oh, my God, I don't want to ruin your life. <laughs> so it's too, it's just so much pressure. I like teaching people who have a lot of questions and I try to answer them, but I don't teach a lot. And it's for that. It's not, uh, you know, it's not because I don't like the lifestyle or that I don't like it. I mean, I think it's the most admirable business, really, in our industry, but... I just, I'm just not ready to kind of go back to that space because I feel that there's so much responsibility that perhaps other people in my past didn't quite take as seriously as would have been useful or <laughs> would have been great. And then performing, I guess. It's coming back, but it's very tricky. I don't really know who I am right now in terms of what I'm doing as a musician. I'm in this sort of crossroads. So I'm playing a few concerts that I know I'm going to have to play repertoire that I don't really like, things that I'm not really convinced by and feel like a heinous human. But hopefully at some point in the near future, I'll have worked through all this stuff. It's actually, it's positive things, but it's just, I just kind of wish, again, a gratuitous thought, but I wish that we would just have one more three-month lockdown and then I'd be, then I'd be great, guys. (laughs) This is, (laughs) this is it. (laughs) I get you. I do. I really, I really get you. I mean, so already, already so much of what you said has really resonated and I'm so sure much. you feel the same I mean being honest about how you feel with teaching that's the reason I don't teach anymore and I mean I had another re- something to to say and ask but I've forgotten it so I'll hand over to you I was gonna say because you yeah you just said it felt like a crossroads and I I also feel like it at the moment I'm not quite sure who I musically am um yeah but do you feel like there's something that needs to be done about that or that you're just gonna keep on going and it will just iron itself out like do you feel the need to like do something really drastic to find yourself Hmm. I suppose 
Iron itself out is a funny phrase. I guess what it feels like a little bit more to me is that I feel like I've kind of outgrown the soil that I used to be in. And I feel like a seed has been planted, but it's just, I'm like waiting with my watering can for the day that it's going to come actually out of the ground. <laughs> you know, that's the, yeah. that's the feeling right now. So I know it can only bring good things in general when everything in your life falls apart or you have the feeling of, I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing. You're actually at the best place because you are at the first step and in that first step, you can take whatever direction you want. Um, I guess we've all been on, you know, take it in the feeling that we're taking steps down a path that we know is not right. For instance, these concerts that I'm going to do, that's that. I just need to reach this dead end there and just close it off, cordon it off and be done with it. Um, but I'm excited. I mean, it's it's kind of double, you know, because it's really hard on a daily basis when you want to sit down and just practice something and you think, yeah, I'm just going to, I just want to sink my teeth into something. There's nothing to sink, sink your teeth into because you just kind of don't know what it is that you're looking for and you kind of don't want to force it. And I'm sort of listening to stuff and trying to read stuff. And I guess one thing that has helped me, because otherwise it's just going to sound really bleak, but one <laughs> thing that has helped me is trying to use all of the things that make me feel any kind of way and kind of use that as a catalyst for something else. Because I used to think that you just had to find the thing you loved. And then I would get really panicky. Like, oh my god, but I don't really love any... <laughs> I don't love any of this stuff. It could... It's kind of... With a lot of classical music, I always felt... Especially listening, it was a bit... Well, I'd take it or leave it. If it didn't exist, I probably wouldn't care. I don't know. You know, it was really difficult to find my own feelings about that stuff but um these days I just kind of I try to especially because Instagram you know I know we're gonna get around to this I'm sorry I'm talking a lot but um Instagram is really a great place for that and a lot of social media as well because you see so many things that um in inverted commas trigger you in a certain kind of way for instance the other day I saw something that said it was a it was a just a little post somebody I love who has a festival in the Netherlands, um, and it was a post where they were announcing the prize winners, and the first prize was not awarded. And then I was like, save that post, it makes you feel a certain way. Why would you not award a first, like, what does that even mean? <sighs> does it mean, I mean, you just, what? <laughs> so, I've been trying to find those things, and kind of save them into a little folder on my Instagram, or... Mm just take note of interesting conversations or things I've read or just feelings that I've thought, even in wacky, weird moments, and trying to think about how those things make me feel as this new emerging person, if that doesn't sound mm. too strange. That okay. had nothing yeah. to do with your question. No, no, <laughs> no. totally. It's, that is exactly to do with the question. It's perfect. Yeah, I really get the impression that it's like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like you have a... A sort of acceptance of of a of a sort of messy time in your life. It's like it's a sort of I suppose like that whole cliche of a beautiful mess maybe. But I mean, was there a time where you you didn't have the sort of faith of of feeling all sorts of different emotions and and accepting this very varied color of your life? You know, have you had times where 
you you really you felt very very lost and and it wasn't quite so clear to you that it would change or anything like that yes yeah <laughs> um let's uh, well i can say it like this this is the first time that i feel this way um i think i'll start at the beginning i guess but i think going through the kind of education where you realize that your end trajectory is or your end destination is success and that everything leading up to that equals something. You can't put a foot wrong because otherwise you'll be off track. I remember being 10 years old and looking at the kids who were eight years old and thinking, oh my God, if I'd only just taken this more seriously two years ago. My whole life was driven by this kind of anxiety of catching up um, and feeling like a complete mess inside because I never really knew what I liked or what I thought. I just... I was very observant as a kid. I was very quiet, very shy. So I just used to watch how other people reacted to everything. And whenever my life felt like a mess, I just used to parrot the things that I'd heard other people say. I, I was actually telling the story the other day. You know, this is something really, for me, this is the classic feeling of being at school, which was somebody would ask me, oh, what's your favorite recording of Beethoven 3? What a question to ask a 12-year-old. <laughs> and I'd think of the one thing that I'd heard, and I'd say, oh, yeah, I really like that um, Karajan recording, Karajan. <laughs> yeah, I definitely wouldn't um, have heard Beethoven 3 by the time I was 12. <laughs> this is, I mean, yeah, you're, this is the thing. It's already coming from this place of, like, I mean, what kind of world is this? <laughs> um, but, yeah, I would say something like that, you know, I like that Karajan recording, and someone would say, oh. Carrie, and you've got to be kidding me. You have yeah. to hear the, the Furt Wengler recording. And I wouldn't go and listen to it, but the next time somebody asked me any question like that, I'd say, oh, I like the Furt Wengler recording. <laughs> yeah, and of yeah. course they'd say something else, like, oh, no, you know, oh, Furt Wengler, you can take him or leave him, but Bruno Walter, you really got to go and listen. And then just this never-ending sort of, this cycle of just never being able to say the right thing or never be, and all of it being fake in a way. I never, nothing was ever, I could never s settle on my own opinions. I could never say, hey, but I like that Carrie Ann recording. Actually, that's the one that I, I like the most. Um, because I, I really believe that there was a right and a wrong. And whether it's to do with me, um, or whether it's to do with the way that a lot of music schools are set up, there becomes this sort of like a myth that arises of this one right thing. And it's elusive, you don't know what it is. Somewhere inside of you, through people telling you you're talented or gifted or whatever, you have a little particle of it. You know that, but you don't know which part it is. It's all really mystical. Um, and everything else is wrong. Like, everything else you do in your life is wrong. Everything you play, there's so many mistakes to be made. My God, the overwhelming amount of mistakes that there are. This wealth of opportunity <laughs> to make mistakes is just unreal. And so I kind of grew up with that feeling. I thought, everything is a mess. I don't know what to do about it. I just hope that no one realises. And then, after I left school, I had this moment to rebrand myself. I moved to a new country. Um, I had my little metaphorical briefcase of opinions that I should mention. You know, that Bruno Walter recording is just... Oh, <laughs> Um, and then I went and I just armed myself with probably the, the strongest, like this, um, platinum belted ego plate that I wore all the time. My ego was, I mean, 
unbearable. I can't even imagine that I made friends in my first year. I was so, I mean, it was just awful. I really, I just, I thought if I can't be the best, because deep down, cripplingly, I know that I'm awful. But somewhere in me, I know there's something. At least if I pretend that I'm the best and I give off, I exert this big dick energy my whole mm-hmm. life then no one will ever notice that I'm actually not good at all <laughs> both of those things are awful um and then when it came to my set so I changed teacher this is sort of an important part of this I am getting to your question because it's a big uh <laughs> no I, I knew it was a big, a big breakdown it was a big question um, <laughs> part of your story so it is a big it. question we're loving it um so I I was studying with this teacher who uh, so Zoran Dukic, Croatian guy. Uh, you'll probably know the type. A lot of those Balkan uh, legends, I guess you could say, they are very. They have a big facility for technique when they're very young, and it's drilled and trained, and they're impenetrable. I mean, just amazing, amazingly impenetrable. No mistake will get by them. Um, and so he was one of these guys, you know, who he'd, he'd never understand if he felt bad. It was like, well, I mean, how can you, how can you take a day off for you, you for your mental health? What's that? You know, that doesn't exist. Um, and obviously with my huge ego, these things clashed because he had an ego that was built on something sustainable and my ego was not built on something sustainable. So I would come out with these awful things. I would say things. He would suggest a, a really expressive and beautiful fingering to me um, of some Bach piece. And it would be somewhere up high on the fretboard where the tone would warp slightly. And I would say to him, well, that's not very in style. I mean, can you even imagine an 18-year-old <laughs> saying that to you? You're a 50-year-old guy, you've, you know, so that's my whole life. Winning competitions, being loved by everybody in the world. I mean, it's just, it's unthinkable now. Anyway. So we didn't, we, we got on, I think he, he felt kind of provoked by me all the time <laughs> to try to push me <laughs> to a point where I would also have to make some sort of monumental change. Um, unbeknownst to him, everything that I said and my whole ego was built on the fact that I had this deep, deep anxiety that actually I was a complete fraud. And I really felt the same kind of feeling that you, as if you had been, I don't know, as if you stole something and you just realized you weren't going to get away with it. And that's what, that feeling really colored my last months while I was studying there because I just thought, oh my God, he's going to find out. It's really awful. Uh, So it felt, I guess, like the start of a breakdown, but I didn't really talk to anyone about it. I was never very vocal that made it a little bit more tricky. And also, it's not without consequence, I guess, but I, I started at Menuhin when I was 10. And so at this point, I was 19. So I'd been also living away from home for 10 years. So my relationship with my parents had changed also a lot. Um, still love my parents, never went through any teenage problem. We never had any of that stuff because I wasn't there. But um, the relationship was just different. You know, I always had to call home telling my parents that everything was going really well because I wanted them to be, you know, to keep supporting me and to you know, be really excited for me. And I needed them to be excited because if everybody around me had started saying, oh, my God, this is really going badly, I think I probably would have crumbled a lot more. So I had to keep up that pretense. I'm trying to figure out what's relevant really here. We what's like relevant is probably too. this. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
I suppose, well, I will, okay, I will just drop this in, it's not relevant at all for this, but something that was really interesting during that time, I actually went to see a therapist once. Um, it was a school therapist, his name was Paul Denier. I don't ever remember really acknowledging that I was having any real issue. I never really thought that there was a proper problem. Uh, and yet, somewhere in that uh, spring-summer term, I ended up going to a therapy session with him, and we talked a little bit about that parent relationship which I found really fascinating he said to me you know he he had this picture on his computer that his daughter had drawn and it was a lovely picture of both of them and then she'd written to my daddy but she put the d the wrong way around so it said to my baddie <laughs> and he said oh look I mean, it just means something different now <laughs> okay uh, so he took this picture and he said to me look at this picture it's so beautiful you know when my daughter gave me this I never told her that she spelt it wrong. Um, he said, you know what happens when you tell a kid that they've done something wrong? Even something tiny, tiny, tiny. Kids are constantly adjusting the point of their, the needle of their compass. You, you tell a kid, oh, you haven't done that quite right. And they'll think, okay, that's fine. There's a million other things for me to do. I'm just not going to do that again. And he said to me, don't you ever think that it, it may be, you know, going to a specialist school like that from so young, but kind of being stuck in it that you've just always felt like you've wanted to move your needle, but you can't. I mean, my ego is still there, so I was just like, well, okay, that's yeah, what you think. Whatever. You're a bit your man, <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it struck a chord with me a lot later because I realised that that probably is what happens. I mean, I'm, I'm cautious of grouping all specialist schools together, but then again, I rarely meet anyone who hasn't had the same thoughts. So it's tricky to know where to put yourself. I guess the caveat is that I understand that people can have different experiences, blah, 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 terms and conditions, a little star, all those little things. But it just, I do think that that kind of education lends itself to that, that feeling. I, you know, it's been really amazing reconnecting with a lot of my schoolmates who I've been, you know, sort of like revered. I mean, I really revered a lot of them thought that they were all amazing no one could have felt like I did and just realizing that basically all of us are just completely you know waist deep in anxiety all feeling like we're imposters was just what why couldn't we realize this earlier you know it was so it was so also abysmal <laughs> to me really but um but that's the okay I will go back to where I was because it's you know this is not even the breakdown yet can you imagine um <laughs> you should listen so... to our normal like unedited versions of our podcast because we never get to the point no <laughs> oh, god so yeah so that's the the school experience had had kind of led me up to this feeling that I felt inadequate I guess and then something happened a bolt out of the blue Probably the best thing that ever could have happened to me. And also cued the start of kind of sinking. I, I felt like I was a ball who had been on top of a mountain and I'd been slowly declining. Uh, this bald out of the blue that ended up changing and shaping kind of the rest of my life ever since then made me realise that the rock bottom was just the start. <laughs> Oh, God, I have to caveat this by saying it because I hate it in interviews when people say, and then this person told me that, and then my life was changed. It was great. It was awful. My teacher, who had accepted me, and he never accepted people who were younger than me, people who were in their bachelors, he never accepted these people. <laughs> he told me, you know, Rosie, if it's life or death, 
you shouldn't be doing this. And I was like, what? It was awful to be told that you shouldn't be doing it. I suppose it's a real mixture of having this huge complex. I mean, it's in general a huge complex, but it's almost this like a god complex, megalomania. This idea, I, I couldn't believe that somebody was telling me that I, I shouldn't do it. Somewhere, like that little tiny kernel, maybe the same mystical kernel that I was always looking for at school, kind of told me that, like, but I'm God's gift to humanity. You know, there was that feeling of indignation. Like, how can you tell me to not do this? I'm so good at this. Yeah. And then I had the biggest, longest, slowest, most painful breakdown that I've ever had. It started in May 2015. I just basically took control of whatever I could take control of in my life, which was absolutely nothing except (laughs) for eating. So I stopped eating. It was, you know, it was a very toxic time online as well. Um, I started doing those things like the military diet. I started getting into long distance running. Um, It was awful. I really, but I kind of felt like, yeah, I'm, I'm winning. I mean, this is amazing. And no one really ever said anything either. I mean, this is, yeah. <laughs> I'm not blaming anyone. I mean, I did have a, another kind of moment where I realized something was wrong. I went to my boyfriend at the time and I told him, you know what had happened? I ate something. And then I was like, oh my God, I shouldn't have eaten that. What was I thinking? You know, after months of having like counted every tiny little thing, the calories in toothpaste, <laughs> the yeah. calories in the, in the calcium in my water, like all these little things. Um, I just ate something. And then I was like, what? And then I thought, I have to get it out. I have to get it out. So I went to the bathroom and I was uh, over the toilet with a toothbrush stuck into my throat. And then I had this moment of thinking, how did I get here? Mm. Like, really, how did I get here? And Mm. I remember going into the bedroom and saying, I think I have a problem. Mm. Went unheard. (laughs) Then I got into a really (sighs) bad uh, kind of binge purge. I don't know what, like a period of my life, I guess it must have been five or six months. Um, It felt outside of what was going on at the time. But if I look back, it was very clear, it's very clear to me now that it was just a big part of that. And I kind of just evacuated my life of all of the things. I I amputated everything that could possibly make me happy. I just, I realised that I was destined to be sad. I decided that I was going to give up guitar Obviously, if somebody has told me, one person has told me that I don't need to do this, then that must mean that there's no point in me doing this ever again. So I thought I'm going to give up. But I had paid to go to a a course uh, in Spain with René Izquierdo, this Cuban guitarist and teacher. And I thought, oh, well, I'll just go, like, just for the holiday or whatever. And I went there looking, like, frail as a little wafer, um... I looked so ill as well. I couldn't see it, but I looked so ill. I got to the first lesson, one-on-one, and he said, what are you going to play for me? And I just started crying. And he was like, oh, (laughs) Um, it's okay. You don't have to be nervous. And then what started out as a little tear started to be that kind of heaving sobbing where you can't breathe and then you kind of calm down and then you go yeah it's just (laughs) and then you you know that (laughs) yeah exactly just awful so I basically then because it was a it was a very lovely course it was just I think it was eight of us just doing technique every morning and having a one-on-one lesson during the day um, in this really secluded strange place 
It's called Carillon de los Condes. And it's the midway point of the Camino Frances. And it's 800 kilometers walk. There's a lot of reasons why people do it. Over the last hundred years or so, it's kind of been emancipated from its religious connotation. And it's become something that people also just do because they are in a weird place in their life. So you meet a lot of strange people there. Um, a lot of lone travellers who just took a sabbatical from work. So I met a lot of people there who were also having this strange moment in their lives where they needed to look for something. Um, and it stayed with me for, a, I mean, it, it's it's one of the most, um, I guess, probably important emotionally things that I've been through. Just, well, the lessons, I didn't learn anything really, apart from that I just couldn't stop crying. This, it obviously meant something That's to me. That's a big just, lesson in itself. <laughs> I was devastated. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, we talked through it. We decided on the next practical steps that I could take, which were to leave The Hague, where I was studying, to my great shame and study somewhere else. Somebody who would take me, bear in mind, within two weeks of the school year starting. So it was a little hectic. But okay, we just, he asked around, he called in a lot of favors for me. And he said to me, just um, you, you do this year and we'll meet back here next year. And then we're gonna compare notes on how this year has gone. And if it, you really want to give up, then you can give up. So, so yeah, so we took the practical decisions in hand uh, I will not go into my love life, but it was a mess. I will tell you, just <laughs> as a whole thing, it was a whole, a whole different kind it's of mess. It's another episode. I on think its own. these things often yeah. go hand in hand, don't they? <laughs> yeah, it was part of the evacuating myself of all the things that made me happy. I cheated on my boyfriend that I had been with, and then in the face of it, of him finding out, I just kind of laughed and was like, "Yeah, well, that's just." the kind of thing that I do these days, I guess. I'm such a lunatic, I don't know what's wrong with me. And then he said, yeah, I would, I would like to work on it. We could, we could get through this. And I was like, no, I don't. I just, just want to get it. I just didn't care about anything at all. This was really the feeling. I just, I couldn't care less about anything. And then I'm still descending down the hill of my breakdown. So I kind of think I'm at rock bottom. I basically wake up every day thinking that I'm at the bottom of this thing and that the next day is going to be better. And every day I wake up and it's worse. Like every single day. Mm. Um, I start studying in Tilburg and it's nice. It's, it's tiny and it's cute. And then I get to school and even though everybody has convinced me through the last two weeks you know the director of music the head of the school the teacher that I'm going to study with uh they've all convinced me that everything's going to be in English I arrive and everything's in Dutch and all the teachers are kind of well I guess quite rightly but also quite shockingly xenophobic about it they're just like well how can you expect to come and study here and you just don't speak the language and I'm like oh yeah okay I get that so I go to all the lectures, I record them all with the dictaphone, I go home to my room every night and write out phonetically all the words I think I've heard, I then go and say them to people who are Dutch and try and get translations and then I learn my vocabulary like that and I build it up, but ultimately what happened there is that from this really, really difficult point, I was just so lonely. I've, I've never been more lonely in my life that I kind of felt as though I was having a pre-death experience as if I was already dead I was having this little sneak peek into what it would be like which I guess is what a lot of people went through during Covid what would it really be like if your life just stopped that's a good comparison actually 
Yeah. Yeah. It did feel like a dead time. Completely isolated. Like, what? This could be yeah. what happens when I die. Buried alive. I haven't thought about it. Yeah, buried alive. Sorry, I was very yeah. No, interesting. But it's, it's true, right? So that is the end of part one. As I said, part two will be released imminently. We hope you enjoyed or found it useful slash interesting slash, yeah, why not? I hope you enjoyed part one. Um, if you fancy following us on any of the socials, we are at TMDTA Podcast. Our website is www.thingsmusiciansdonttalkabout.com. Um, yeah, I think we have an email. It's thingsmusiciansdonttalkabout at gmail.com, I believe. But yeah, I'm sure you guys can find us. If you found this podcast, you can find us. Um, but yeah, see you next time for part two.